this morning's service. We're so glad that you're here. If this is your first time here, we have our guest reception coming up. You can find the information for that below. Or if you're ready to make us your spiritual family, your church home, we have a welcome to the family gathering coming up. Information for that can also be found below. In today's service, you can expect a time of worship, followed by some announcements, a time of giving, and then a word from one of our pastors. Now, let's enter into a time of worship. Great city family. Good morning, live stream. I'm going to invite you guys to stand. As you all can see, we have cameras all around, but we guys, we don't, we don't want you guys to be uh, just dismayed or anything. We just want you to worship. Feel free to just express however you want to express yourself to the Lord. And uh, let's just go for it. I'm going to pray and let's worship the Lord. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you so much. And we thank you for today, God. We thank you for this house of worship. We thank you, Lord, for this house of praise. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and rest on us. We ask that you would come and enlighten our eyes and give us understanding of the man Christ Jesus. We want to be totally enthralled with the man of Christ Jesus today. We bless you and we thank you. Come on, let's worship. Rest. 
the Son of Man be exalted. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Come, let us bow down before Him. His banner is love over us. His mercies are new. Every morning, and I'll sing. Oh, 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 oh. and so. like you, Jesus, in all the earth. One who sits above the heavens, is one who sits above the circle of the earth. We ascribe worth to you, Jesus. With the fruit of our lips, we give you praise. With the fruit of our lips, we give you praise. Come on, let's just open our mouths and give them praise. We worship you in spirit and truth, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. I won't let the rocks cry out, and I won't let the rocks cry out in my place. We return the breath you gave with 
Let's lift that up. I won't let the rocks cry out.
Jesus, you alone, a rock, a cornerstone, high within our hearts, high within our hearts. Come on, let's just bless Jesus. Come on, let's just clap and give him praise. We give you praise and adoration, Jesus.
ourselves to the Lord. We are those living stones that he talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, built around the cornerstone, we are living stones being built as a royal priesthood to give sacrifices unto the Lord. spiritual family, we're asking you, God, to make us everything you dreamed us to be, everything that you've desired in your heart 
before the world was created. You had a plan, and we're a part of it. Let's just sing that again. Everything that God dreamed us to be, we want him to do it. We want him to build it in us. Let's sing that chorus one more time. Build your church back. You said you would build your church. county and in the city, God, you are doing something new in us together, and it's all sourced around you and your heart, so we just ask, Jesus, have your way in our gathering this morning, let all this be just for you, God, from our heart to yours, build us around you. Build us around you this morning, in Jesus' name. So good morning, Gay City family. I want to take a time to just pray for healing. And also we want to highlight one of our missionaries, Jimmy Strid. He's headed out to one of our bases in the Middle East. And his parents are here with him this morning. He's sown so much into the season to be trained to raise a team of supporters around him, to send him into the nations, to proclaim the words of Jesus. And so we just want to invite anyone who's standing around him. So Jimmy, would you just raise your hand? And so we want to invite those gathered near to lay hands on him as we pray for him this morning. And if also at the same time you're, you're, you're struggling with something in your physical body, spiritually or emotionally, Raise your hand if you would like someone to pray for you as well, too. Or we'll just join in as a spiritual family and contend for each other and send Jimmy off with a blessing. So, Father, we come before you, lifting Jimmy up to you. We thank you for all the hours and weeks and months and years of preparation for this very moment to be sent out to proclaim of your goodness and your kindness to those who have not seen, to those who have not heard of the beauty of your son. So God, we just ask for a supernatural amount of grace for his journey and this assignment, God. 
everything that you have assigned him to in this season, we ask God as a spiritual family that you would strengthen him, encourage him with might in the inner man to persevere and stay encouraged in this assignment, in this journey, God. Would you bring up even more divine appointments and divine moments where he feels your sovereign hand as you lead him out, God. Everyone who you've brought around him to support him financially and in prayer, God. Would you use it all for your glory? Use Jimmy as your vessel, God, as your vessel in the nations. Send him forth, God. Ekbalo, thrust him, God. Send him, God, to proclaim the truth and the goodness of your son. We ask for him and his team, God, to grow in even more love and unity with one another. And their witness would just declare how awesome you are, God. So even now, speak clearly to him about how you feel about where you're sending him and his journey so far, God. We ask that. And as a family here, we ask, Lord, would you heal our bodies, God? Heal our bodies. Heal our minds. Heal our souls, God. Our emotions. Even now, regulate emotions. Silence the accusing voice. Even now, God. We ask for physical healing in our bodies, God. We cry out. In Jesus' name. So as I said before, just welcome this morning to our Sunday morning service here at Gate City. And I want to take a moment before you go before you get seated. We'd love for you to um, greet anyone around you who you do not know. So if you see a new face, introduce yourself. We want to welcome all of our first-time guests. If you're here with us this morning, we just love that you're here sharing this moment with us. And if you're online, thank you so much for tuning in. And also, if you want to add comments of just welcome in the, in the chat online on YouTube, that would be great as well, too. We're a spiritual family. We get to enjoy the brotherhood of gathering together and being in this place. So... And as we transition this morning, we're going to go to a time of announcements. And thank you so much for coming. Good morning, Gate City. I'm Shelly. And I'm Gus. And I just want to remind you who we are. From the place of night and day worship and prayer, we share the gospel from the neighborhoods to the nations. And we disciple the whole family so they can go deep in the knowledge of God. And if you are here for the first time or visiting us, we want to welcome you. There's a connection card in the seat in front of you. We want to kindly ask you to fill this out. We want to connect with you, get to know you, and welcome you here to Gate City Church. So on your way out, please feel free to drop this card off at the offering box in the back. Yes, or you can drop it off at the coffee shop and trade it in for a free cup of coffee. We'd love to welcome you that way. Or if you're online, you can text GC Guest to 75787 and we will connect with you. As you know, we are a fasting and praying community, and our monthly community fast begins tomorrow. 
this is a time to seek Jesus, set your gaze on him, and that we get to focus in the prayer room. As together we experienced this last week in our service, together we can do this again this Monday through Wednesday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. We want to encourage you and invite you to pray with us and fast with us. Also, I want to invite you out on October 1st and 2nd. We are going to have special evening services where we are gathering to host the presence of God and experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to have special prophetic ministry and preaching from Chris Reed. We're going to have team prophetic ministry and also worship from our Gate City worship teams. We want you to register, so all you have to do is text special services to 75787. You'll get all the info and you'll be able to register. Last night, we released three new worship moments that we recorded right here live in the prayer room. Our hope is that these moments would encounter you and that the Lord would minister to your hearts. So also, we want your friends to be ministered to and encountered by the Lord in these moments. So if you could, you could text MUSIC to 75787 and you will receive those links so you can share those with your family and your friends. Lastly, we all want to be spiritually whole. So this upcoming Monday, you can jump in on a 10-week course called Growing in Wholeness, where you will be equipped and receive tools to be spiritually and emotionally healthy. All you have to do to register is text Growth Path to 75787. And that's all we have for you today. Now for a time of offering. Good morning, Gate City family. I'm here at our mission base in ECOO, Kenya. It's time for this morning offering. We pay attention to the ways to give that'll be appearing below. Again, I said I'm here at our mission base in ECOO, Kenya with a very familiar face to most of us. And he's gonna tell us who these very special people are behind us. Hey everybody, miss you guys. Good to talking to you from this side of the world. This is the MAP School. They are students and staff. They're the, the mission school from STEM 56, the ministry that we that I'm serving under and a lot of us here are serving under. And uh, so some are students, some are missionaries in the field. Some have graduated, 13 of them are currently in the school being trained to go to underage people group. And uh, that's what we're doing. We do prayer every day, we do worship every day. And we're so thankful for your prayers and support and everything. So. We're going to give a Kenyan greeting. Mambo, it just means like things. Like, what's up? All right? So, three, one, two, three, Sema. Mambo! All right! So good. So, just so you know, the Mission Training School here at Isiolo and in Tororo, Uganda, has sent <coughs> over 50 African missionaries trained in the school that are now serving in six different African countries. Absolutely spectacular and amazing. So as you give your offering this morning, this is what we do. This is who we are as a spiritual family, taking the gospel, we say, from the neighborhoods to the nations. And this is exactly what this is. So thank you for your faithfulness and giving. I'm going to ask Caleb to just pray over our offering this morning. Amen. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, your continued provision, Lord. You are high above the heavens. Lord, all things belong to you, and you consider us, you provide for us. We thank you for your provision uh, through Gate City through the years. We thank you for the provision in Sympathy 6, and we pray you just touch people's hearts to give as you would direct them and to obey you. We love you, Father, and we worship you in the name of Jesus. Hazen, it's time for you to preach. I know you would wish you were here right now, but thank you for preaching this morning, so go for it. Amen. Says so you can tell Dustin is still in Africa and very much enjoying his time there. 
And we actually have an update this morning from where he preached in a place called La Padua. Last time I preached about a month ago, we talked about these devices uh, that you can load multiple languages in that are produced by a ministry that we partner with called Renew World Outreach. And I played this for you guys and told you about how God had worked through a series of providential events to allow us to uh, take 50 of those over there to this community, La Padua. And there are three languages, Maasai, Turkana, and Swahili that are loaded in this. There's Bibles. They call this a torch because it also has a number of different features. It's solar paneled, has a flashlight and a radio. And, uh, and Michael, who was up here pr- playing violin earlier, was actually the person that engineered this device. He goes to our, he goes to our church. And so I want us to go ahead and put a few pictures up on the screen of Dustin distributing these devices. And we prayed for the community that was going to receive them. Go ahead and just show that first picture, Harrison. This is the church that he preached out. This is this morning. That was the congregation. They're holding up these devices. Go to the next image. This is them passing them out. Go to the next image, if you would. And this, I told you guys the story of how Pastor Saruni started the church that you just saw under this tree. And uh, those rocks right there, that's where his congregation would meet for over a decade. And within the last year, they've been able to build the building that you saw. And they're able to use these devices in outreach to actually give, a, give the, the hurting communities there uh, a Bible. And many of them uh, function out of an oral tradition. And so this actually has something you can just put it right around your neck. And those guys will go out, they'll herd camels, herd goats, and they'll listen to the Bible right here on a device like this. And so pretty amazing. Pretty amazing what God is doing in the nations, through our community, through our partnerships, through our Gate City Global missionaries that are hosting and participating in this outreach. And go ahead and show that quick video. I just want you guys to see the excitement uh, that, uh, on the face of the people as these are, are handed out there in the midst of that church. Again, that's today. That's seven hours earlier. Uh, this, was, this was their, I guess not seven hours earlier. They're seven hours ahead of us. So it was seven hours Earlier in the day, exactly. Thank you, Chris. But this is them passing them out, and they're receiving them. They're going to explain how they can use these to reach their communities. And so not only are we giving them an audio Bible, but we're actually giving them a tool to start Bible studies and listening groups right there in East Africa. Pretty amazing. So you guys can go away, cut away from that clip. And so I just want to encourage us. What God is doing, when we say we take the gospel from our neighborhoods to the nations, we are really doing that in practical ways. One of our pastors is not here because he's there in one of our outreach communities serving those folks and distributing audio Bibles that we helped to send to that part of the world. And I just want to commend all of you because for you guys, if you were here last time I preached and we prayed, like we prayed, and since the time that we prayed, we were able to load the audio Bibles, we were able to put them in some suitcases with the missionary we were sending over there, we were able to take them there, and then this morning they were distributed. And so I just wanted to give that update and say praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, I don't need this up here anymore. If anybody needs a torch with a Swahili Bible in it, now's your chance. Okay, no immediate takers. Jenna, you can, if anybody does want a Swahili audio solar panel Bible, you can see Jenna. (laughs) All right, awesome. So this actually transitions well into the first point I want to make. So if you were here with us last Sunday, you know that we took what we normally do during the week. You heard it in our explanation of who we are. We do 84 prayer meetings a week. Okay, we've done that for over 15 years. We are a community that is rooted in the reality of night and day worship and prayer. 
And for visitors especially, I just like to paint the picture because sometimes it's, it's kind of hard for people to comprehend. Like, what do you mean? Like, does that mean there's a room with some pillows and where they're burning some candles and that's the prayer room and that's open 24-7 with some soft music and soft lighting? Is that what you mean when you say you have a prayer room? No, what we mean when we say we have a prayer room is right here in this sanctuary, when we're done having our services, the prayer room will come back into this room. Right now, the prayer room is actually happening I believe it's Andrew Bullard. He's, he's leading a set right now in upstairs room, room 23, where he is worshiping and praying even in the midst of our teaching. Because for 15 years, we've led unbroken, sustained, night and day worship and prayer. And that requires hundreds of people from our spiritual community, over 200 people, participating in those 84 prayer meetings a week. It's remarkable what God is doing in the midst of our community. And not only do we have the reality of night and day worship and prayer here locally that happens right here in this room, but we are doing that in five to seven different locations across the earth with varying amounts of prayer, varying sizes of community. But right there, I'll show a video clip a little bit later when I'm giving our teaching on prayer, but I'll show a clip from our prayer room in East Africa where my wife and I spent seven weeks over this, over this summer doing in an African prayer room the exact same kinds of things that we do here in our prayer room in Lawrenceville, Georgia. So the reason I'm explaining all this is because if you're used to coming on Sundays to a conventional church environment, you'll learn very quickly that we are not conventional, right? That's why we take a Sunday morning to give entirely to worship and prayer because it is the main thing as a spiritual family, one of the main things that we are called to do. And I just feel like it serves us to understand who we are as a spiritual family as we go through this series of living a life of prayer. We aren't only wanting to live that life of prayer individually and in in most of us don't have a full-time vocational ministry assignment, though some of us do. We have over 50 staff who are here sustaining the work of night and day worship and prayer. We also have over 50 staff overseas that are taking the gospel from a prayer foundation to the nations. So we have a, almost 100 staff, and of those 100 staff, very few of them do the conventional work of Western church. And so most people, when they, they begin to get a concept of like what church is in the West, if you were to visit a typical Sunday church, they have services on Wednesday, they might have a ministry school, they have services on Sunday, and that's the thing out of which most of the, the church community happens there might be home groups bible studies discipleship but we are an entirely different animal and i actually want to use some examples from the animal kingdom to illustrate our uniqueness i want to introduce you now to an animal called the z-donk harrison if you would oh no there he is there's the z-donk adorable isn't it that is a hybrid of a donkey and a and a zebra if you could go back to the jeep this is a goat and a sheep hybrid animal. That guy's pretty cute. Now we're going to go to a bigger one. I want to introduce you to the Tigon. If you could go to the Tigon. Uh, yeah, there he is. The tiger and the lion hybrid. Very unusual, very unique. And now the largest cat in the whole world. Show him Hercules. Oh yeah, there he is. This is a liger. This is a 900-pound lion-tiger hybrid. Ligers are sweet. Name that 2,000 reference. And 
this lady, uh, I didn't put the picture in there, but it sh there's one of her feeding that tiger with a baby bottle, and I think that, that liger got that big because that lady fe fed it a little too much milk. But that cat is, is huge. Okay, why did I show you all those weird animals? There's a verse, and it's so funny because, you know, when in preparation for things, you pick a Bible verse that you feel like captures the truth of what you want to share. Sometimes you think it's just, uh, you know, your, your own sense of, of, uh, of Bible knowledge drawing you to the truth of Scripture. And in 1 Peter 2.9, there's a verse that says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The KJV says, A peculiar people, that you would proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what I didn't know was that joy was going to take time this morning, just led by the Holy Spirit, to highlight 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9, those very passages she was singing about, about the cornerstone of the church and us being built together as a holy dwelling for God. She was singing about the very verses I was going to open my message with. How cool is that? So those are just those little things that make you go, oh, what you thought you were doing on your own, actually God is in this. And he's wanting to speak something to our hearts this morning. So I just want to draw our attention to that. So what is he wanting to say? He's wanting to say, you guys are a peculiar people. If you heard there's a place, like I did when I was in my early 20s, I heard there's a place. Thank you for amening that, Mike. I was like, you guys are weird. He was like, amen. <laughs> We're a peculiar people with respect to when, when I heard about a place that prayed night and day, I was like, I want to go check that place out. I want to go there. And I found that they were talking about the kinds of things that my heart was drawn to. You know, and that's not something to get an elite attitude concerning. And I, I put this in the notes, and I don't know if we highlighted this, but you can get the notes this morning by just going to our website or, uh, or texting. I don't know if I even know it off the top of my head. Texting today's notes to 75787. <laughs> so if you want to get today's notes and follow along, and these verses are in there. But we're called to be something unique, and that uniqueness is not to produce elitism in us. 1 Corinthians 12.4 says, there are differences in ministry, but the same Lord. And then he says a few verses later, 1 Corinthians 12.20, you have indeed many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And mainly that's talking about the individuals that are composed within the corporate body. But I also think it's true that within the broader family of the church in a city, God gives unique callings and ministries to certain communities. And what we have to understand is part of the unique calling, we actually describe it in our mission and vision statement. We say God has called us to form a unique expression of church. Dustin says, you know, we're an aardvark, we're an unusual animal. If you've ever been in our Welcome to the Family, Dustin will begin to explain how we are a house of prayer at the core, that's the heart of what we do. We're a local church expression and we're a mission sending organization. And he'll say, we're an aardvark. I'm, I'm voting that we replace that with the liger. <laughs> we're a little bit of an odd animal because it's an odd church expression that says we almost have as many staff overseas as we do locally. We, it's an unusual church expression that says we're not just going to emphasize missions, but we're going to emphasize missions to the unreached. And almost every month we're sending new people to unreached places in the earth like we are sending Jimmy here in just a few days. So that makes us something very peculiar but also very special. And I just wanted to draw that out for us today 
Because if you've never been to our prayer room, you're really not going to understand fully what we're trying to do on Sunday until you come to this room, one of the other 84 prayer meetings that we do week in and week out. If you haven't gone out to our lobby, where right by the cafe, by our global cafe, we have all the pictures of our overseas missionaries, picked up a few of those cards, put them on your fridge and started to pray for those missionaries. You're not really fully going to understand what we mean when we say we send the gospel from our neighborhoods to the nations from a foundation of night and day worship and prayer. And then we disciple the whole family to go deep in knowing God. I'm so proud of who we are. And I don't want our church family to just taste one part of who we are on a Wednesday or a Sunday because who we are is as much about those 84 prayer meetings and as much about sending audio Bibles to communities in La Padua as what we do here on a Sunday morning. Amen. So I also want to talk for a moment about the uniqueness of our messaging too. If you could, and I thought to myself, I said, what better way to describe the uniqueness of our flavor than to Google weird things that go well together. So I'm going to go through those real quick, and then I'm going to get in the meat of my message. Go ahead and put the first one up. That's right. Apple pie and cheddar cheese goes really, oh, I hear some amens. Brother down here in the front, apple pie and cheddar cheese, a big fan. This is kind of a southern thing. If you've never had that apple pie, sprinkle a little cheddar cheese on the top of it, melt it, go home, try it today. It is delish. All right, next one. I've tried that one. Bacon and bananas. We go together like bacon. I'm, I'm going to make a spiritual application here in a moment, but let's just savor the thought of bacon and bananas together. I've never tried that one. My kids love bananas. They love bacon. We're going to put them together and do some bacon and bananas. Someday. Maybe a bacon banana smoothie might be good. <laughs> go, to the, go to the next one. Mangoes and chili. So I was explaining this to our section coordinators, and someone brought me some chili spiced mangoes this morning to eat. And so I didn't want my, I'd never tried this before. I didn't want my first bite to be, uh, I took a bite out of this one because I was like, what if it's bad? But it was good. I tried it. I'm going to try it right now. Mmm. Chili spiced mango. Savannah is the section coordinator that brought it to me. Her and her husband, Ryan, helped lead our morning section. And she brought this to me. She said, I ate like half the bag on the way here. Because she loves the chili spice mango flavor. If you're into chili and mango spices together, you may have found the right church for you. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Who wants to try the rest of these? I'm not going to eat these. Oh, Sharon. Come on, Sharon. <laughs> Come on. You, you said you want them. Here. Craig, you can eat one on the way. We have to deliver that to her. Wait, I think we had one more. I got chew here. That's spicy. Balsamic and strawberries. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. This may have been a bad idea to eat that. Every pregnant, 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 prego woman in the place said, I know something about that, the pickles and the peanut butter. I haven't tried that one. I'm going to try it today. I asked my wife, do we have pickles and peanut butter at home? Just going to dip that pickle in the peanut butter and take a bite. I don't know if you guys are going to remember anything else I said today, but you're definitely going to remember these illustrations. Okay, so intimacy and end times are two of the pillars of what we preach, and they go together like pickles and peanut butter. 
They're very different, but they really go well together. So much so that, and what I'm trying to explain is, there are two books of the Bible that typically you avoid on a Sunday morning in your preaching. The first one is the book of Song of Solomon, right? The second one is the book of Revelation. The reason churches avoid those is because Song of Solomon is a little weird and erotic, okay? If you just read it plainly, all right? But we also believe it's allegorical concerning the identity of the church at the end of the age. Because we see in Revelation 21, it says the spirit and the bride say, come, there's something that's going to be essential about bridal identity in the end times, right? And then we see in the book of Revelation, it's weird. There's some weird symbolism in that book. There's dragons and women and the moon and all these unusual pictures that have to be deciphered. And so people begin to read it and they go, this is too complicated and they give up. We feel like as a spiritual family, to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, we have to take these themes that have oftentimes been neglected in the conventional Western church and put those themes together with clarity so people can understand who they are to be at the very most difficult time in human history. And the fact that you guys said yes to that tells me that I am in a mango and chili powder community. You guys understand what it's like to put pickles and peanut butter together, right? We, have, we started our Book of Daniel class this past Wednesday. And, and this is no shade on Ash. He's not in here right now because he's doing some community life things. But we did, like in the main section, we were like, we're going to do a series on parenting and marriage, you know. And there was like about, I don't know, 30 or 40 people that signed up for that. And then we did a class. So we're going to do a class on the end times in the Book of Daniel. We had 70 people show up to that because... You're here because you have a, an appetite, a taste for something a little bit different than what's being offered in other places. And so you may be an ear that's finding itself in the midst of other ears in terms of what you're called to. So just look around and say, you're a little weird. <laughs> just look at somebody and say, you're a little weird. And you're also, let's say, but you're also home. <laughs> because you're weird among another group of weird people, right? And there are people that are going to come here, they're going to hear that explanation of what I just said. They're going to go, this church is not for me, right? And there's some of you that are hearing this right now and you go, when is the membership class? Because you felt like a square peg in a round hole. And finally, you're like I did when I was 20, you're finding something that's going, oh, this is what the Spirit has been speaking to my heart. And God's actually been drawing this and preparing me to be a part of a community like this in a very unusual time in human history. So we're going we're gonna to put intimacy in end times. We're going to put, we're going to say, let's all gather together and pray in a room, 84 primings week, and let's go to unreached people groups at the end of the earth. Those two things, that's not a typical strategy for reaching the unreached. Let's start with prayer and the secret. It's a biblical strategy, but it's not a typical strategy. It kind of goes together like pickles and peanut butter. And so this is who we're called to be, a unique expression of church at a unique time in human history. Amen? Amen. So I just wanted to give that little bit of context and challenge you that if you've been maybe eating more of the pickles, try some peanut butter, right? If there's been a certain part of our community that you gravitated to, a lot of times we have people come in, they go, I'm interested in Pioneer Missions, I'm learning about prayer. 
Maybe you're passionate about the community part. You've attended our house churches. You love discipleship and community, but you've never visited the prayer room. We want to be a people who in our lifestyle reflect the holistic values that we have for all three of those things. Because I don't believe that we're able to do any one of them well apart from the other. So that's my challenge to us today as a peculiar people, as a people that I think are called to priestliness, to give ourselves to that and not just say, oh, that's the full-time prayer room staff member's responsibility. Find a way to plug in and connect to the prayer room. Or find an overseas missionary that you can pray for, love, support, and encourage. I'm sorry, that mango and chili is making me burp. That is just, I'm glad y'all aren't up here. That's, my gosh. I'm glad I made it through. I was like, I'm going to crack myself up talking about the Liger on a Sunday morning. People are going to be like, what did you talk about at your church on Sunday morning? Water cooler conversation. Well, our pastor showed us a bunch of weird animals and <laughs> talked about eating weird foods. Amen. It, another great example, you know, we will pray like four different times before we actually get to our message on Sunday morning. It's like our, our worship leader prays, Ash prays, the, the person who's preaching prays, then he prays again, and then we pray again at the end, right? Like it's a little unusual how much we pray on Sunday morning. Do you know why we pray on Sunday morning that much? It's not strategic. It's just because we, in our minds we just think we need God a whole lot. And we're amongst another, but they go, yeah, it's good that you pray. Pray again. I'm going to pray here in a second. <laughs> Try and get us back on course here. As we talk about living from a place of prayer, we want to be a people who in our lifestyle embrace the fullness of who we're called to be as a spiritual family. And no matter what place you're coming in, embrace the entirety of the message that we would be a people who from the place of night and day worship prayer. Doesn't mean any one of us has to pray 24-7, right? Don't become like the pray 24-7 guy who's here all night for a week. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you take your place on the wall for a portion of time. And you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in. I'm going to have a sacred space every week in the evening or early in the morning where I'm going to rise and I'm going to come and seek God in the corporate context of our prayer room. Or I'm going to tune into the live stream that's also available 24-7. I'm going to connect to the worship and the prayer that's happening out of the heartbeat of our corporate body. And then I'm going to grab some of those cards out of the lobby. And I'm going to take those missionaries and I'm going to pray for them and think about them. It was so cool seeing Caleb up there. He was one of our main worship leaders. He's about to be back on furlough. He'll, we'll see him here with us on Sunday mornings and his family in the next few weeks. You know, From the place of prayer to the nations of the earth... And it's like that we would grab those missionaries, we would carry them in our hearts, we would pray for them, we would support them, we would encourage them, and that we would join house church, and that we would connect. And for the person that's in all those environments, it's like there's going to be a richness that comes to your life, and you're going to understand everything we're talking about on Sunday morning. Amen. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for all the weirdos in the room. I thank you for the people who have heard the sound, the unique sound of what we're doing, and have said, yes, that's what I'm hungry for. A place that's going to give time and attention to the unreached peoples of the earth. A place that's going to give Sunday mornings exclusively to prayer, certain times in the year. A people that are giving themselves with intentionality and focus to worship and prayer. And God, I ask that you would mark people to get engaged in different ways than they're currently engaged. I ask, Father, right now as we're praying this together, I open my heart, Lord, show me a new way 
to engage in who you've called us to be. And for those of us, Lord, wisdom, God, for those of us who have a vocational ministry in the marketplace or in government or in education or in entertainment, would you show us how to carry the priestly anointing in whatever place you've put us, to be a chosen people, to be a peculiar people, those who are called to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. A royal priesthood. Thank you that that's who Gate City is called to be, and you've reminded us of it again this morning. Lord, anoint me as I teach us lessons from the Garden of Gethsemane, and help us to grapple even in our own prayer lives of how to go to the next level. I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Good. So a few weeks ago, I was on a retreat with a few of our leaders here from the, the community. And one of the morning devotionals was on the Garden of Gethsemane. And I knew that I was preaching this message on living from a place of prayer. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, there are lessons in prayer from the garden that I want you to, to draw out and preach on. And so I feel like I have a prophetic word today for some of you in this room, and especially those who may be about to encounter or are in the midst of a great challenge or trial in your life. I think that there are two different seasons in which Jesus really pressed in in the place of prayer. One was in the 40 days in the wilderness right before he launched his public ministry. And then we see a second time that he really pressed in in prayer in the garden. And I think it's so interesting how these two times of prayer seem to bookend his ministry. And both of them preceded great moments of trial and temptation. He has 40 days of fasting and prayer in the wilderness. And then Satan comes to tempt him. It says that Satan left him for an opportune time. And then we see Satan possessing Judas and orchestrating the hour of great darkness and evil that Jesus described. He says at the end of his time in prayer in the garden, he says, the hour of darkness has come. Let us arise and confront it to his disciples, right? And so we see that before moments of great darkness, trial, and difficulty, Jesus did not give himself first primarily to doing things. He gave himself first primarily to the place of prayer. Because he understood that the strength to overcome in the midst of a spiritual trial doesn't come through outward preparation, the circumstances of our life. It comes through the inward preparation that can only happen through prayer. And these are the lessons that I want to invite us to learn today from the garden. And there are four of them, and they all start with F. And so I thought to myself, this is so that you don't fail in the future, learn the four Fs of the garden. Okay, there you go. I'm going to read, they're all in the notes. I put all four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of them actually describe different parts of what happened in the garden. And it's so interesting because there are very few things that are contained in both the synoptic gospels and the gospel of John. And so it's just very interesting that, that all the gospel accounts contain a reporting from the garden. That means that this was something God really wanted us to understand and was really important. I'm just going to read Matthew 26 and then we'll go into the, the four F's of the garden. Four lessons. So if you want to read along with me, we're in Matthew 26, 36 through 46. It's not going to appear on the screen because it's a large passage of scripture. So just go to your notes, go to your Bible. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. 
and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And these are his top three guys. These are the guys that went with him to the Mount of Transfiguration. They were his most intimate compatriots. And he says to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further, fell on his face and prayed. I think that even though this is a short portion of scripture, verse 36 through 46, just 10 verses, it contains such vivid detail. Can you picture Jesus face in the dirt of the Garden of Gethsemane? I've been to the Garden of Gethsemane there at the Mount of Olives, and it's dusty and dry. Can you imagine the Son of God about to suffer the scourging of his back, the crowning of his thorns, crowning of the thorns upon his head, the stripping of his clothes, and we see his first place of humiliation and humbling is that he gets face down in the dirt in the garden, crying out to his father in agony of soul. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he gets up and he goes to his disciples and he finds them sleeping. And he says to Peter, I'll hit on this later, but it just shocked me. It says, what exclamation point? You don't want to ever do anything in life where Jesus shows up and he says, what exclamation point? What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again for his eyes, their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed a third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I would encourage you, like I said, I think that this is a prophetic passage for our community in this time. I would encourage you to read and meditate and study this portion of scripture in the coming weeks. Don't let it just be a good message on a Sunday morning. Take this into your times of prayer in the coming weeks. So here are the four lessons. I'll give just a quick overview of them and then we'll dive down into each one specifically. The first lesson that we see is that Jesus prayed with fervency, face down. In the account, I believe it's in Luke, it says that he prayed and sweated great drops as though they were great drops of blood. We don't know if the actual blood vessels burst and if perhaps blood was secreted from his sweat, if that was the case, then the very first blood of Calvary was in fact shed in prayer in the garden. That's from Dustin. If you find that thought controversial, I give him full credit. F fervency. The next is fortitude. He wanted them to be equipped to resist temptation in an hour of darkness. And so he wanted his disciples to understand fortitude. And Jesus himself was strengthened. It actually says that he was strengthened by angels as he prayed. And so prayer gave him access to spiritual power for the moment of temptation that he was about to go through. So the second lesson is fortitude. The third lesson is fellowship. Even Jesus knew he needed companions in the place of prayer. And he sought that. Three different times he goes to his disciples and says, watch with me, pray with me. And sadly, one of the lessons from the garden is that the strength of his disciples' flesh caused them to fail him in the place of prayer. 
and ultimately they're scattering and dispersing and abandoning him just a, a short time later, I believe was a direct result of their unwillingness to pray in the hour that he exhorted them to intercede to avoid temptation. The third lesson is faithfulness. Or fourth lesson, excuse me. So fortitude, fellowship, faithfulness. Jesus was empowered to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He was actually able to make the choice to submit his heart because he first, through the course, he had to submit continually through the course of his passion, right? He says, do you not know at any moment I could call down 12 legions of my father's angels? Why did he not do that when they were driving the nails into his hands? Why, were the, why did he not call down the armies of angels? But with one word he could have commanded all of heaven. Hebrews tells us that the, our very lives are sustained by the words of his mouth, right? He could have ceased to sustain everything. He could have operated in his divinity as the second person of the Godhead. And he could have stopped the violence that was perpetrated against him at any moment. And we would not sit here in our justified, redeemed, born-again state because he would have chosen self-preservation instead of sacrifice. He had that choice as a man, and he had that power as God. But he did not give in to that temptation because he first made the decision in the place of prayer. And that faithfulness, that resolve that came from the place of intercession was played out over the course of his passion. Many of us are wanting to come through in the hour of temptation and trial. And my question to you is, are you adequately preparing yourself in the place of prayer? If Jesus needed to, how much more do we need to? All right, good. So I said I was going to go deeper. I don't know how much deeper. I think I just preached my whole message. But we'll go over it again. We'll go a little deeper. So if you're following along in the notes, bottom of page four. This is the lesson of fervency. Jesus, when he's praying, he holds nothing back. I'm beginning to uh, train for a race. I'm going to do a triathlon in, in December. Pray for me. <laughs> in the name of Jesus. It's like 10 weeks out. I did my first long bike ride yesterday. I biked 30 miles. The first time I ever biked that distance. I'm like, if you see me wobbling around up here, <laughs> that's why. When you have to dig deep, to do something you've never done before, if you've ever been an athlete that's been in a championship race or you've been an actor that's in the, the opening night performance, you know what it feels like to dig deep and find that place of pushing through to victory, right? We see Jesus at the end of his ministry, having done all the Father's will up to that point, about to face the greatest test and trial of his life. And what he determines to do in that moment is pray with fervency so he can leave it all on the field. He gets face down in the dirt, lays it out, and intercedes three different times. With intensity, with passion, literally pouring sweat out like great drops of blood in the place of intercession. It was interesting to me reading Matthew 26, 38. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me, he says to his disciples. 
he's literally entering into the suffering that he's about to experience. And he's entering into it first in the place of prayer. He's literally tasting the death that is to come. But he's tasting it first as he makes the resolution in the garden. Jesus persisted in prayer. It says he prayed three times with his face down. Sweat pouring down like great drops of blood. He engaged with his whole heart. He sought God with passion and urgency. Scripture seems to clearly imply Jesus was anguished in the place of prayer. And it says in Luke 22, 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And I'd never seen this before. It says that the angel strengthens him. And I had always thought he was being specifically strengthened for the the difficulty of the cross. And yes, I think that's true. But I also think the angel was adding strength so he could continue in prayer. It says, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Why did he pray more earnestly? Because the angel came to his aid in the hour of prayer and gave him strength. Interestingly, do you know the other place that you see angels actually strengthening Jesus was after his temptation in the wilderness. It says angels came and attended to him. So we see that out of these moments of intercession that were actually so rigorous that they were trying, out of these moments of testing and temptation, we see the angels of God come to the aid of Jesus. I want to pray with such fervency and intensity that the Father looks down and he says, he's exhausting his physical frame in prayer. Send the angels in so we can pray harder. That's fervency, beloved. That's intensity in the place of prayer. And if you've never had the joy of tasting prayer where you've poured your heart out in that way. Oh, beloved, there's an invitation in seeing Jesus' intercession in the garden. There's an invitation to you today to pray like David Brainerd would pray. He was a missionary to the Native Americans at the turn of the century, in, or, or the late 1700s, excuse me. And he, he went as a missionary to them and and he would get gripped in prayer and he had tuberculosis, but there was no place where he could quietly pray. So he would go out in the woods in the midst of the snow. And there's one account that describes someone finding David Brainerd in the midst of his intercession where he'd been coughing up blood and the snow is all stained in blood around him. And he's doubled over groaning and weeping and crying out for the souls of those that he ministered to. And the account describes his great suffering in the place of prayer. And as he suffered in the place of prayer, he... He was gripped by God and David Brainerd wouldn't let go in prayer because God had laid hold of him. And the spirit of God was interceding through him. And then he would go into these meetings. If you've never read David Brainerd's biography, it's powerful. And it would, he would preach through a drunken interpreter. And as he preached through the drunken interpreter, the conviction of the Holy Spirit would fall on the, the, even the youngest that he was ministering to. And he reports six-year-olds and seven-year-olds, these young children being touched with the love of God and being greatly distressed with concern for their eternal soul. And it was because he had this garden of Gethsemane fervency in the place of prayer. He wouldn't give up until he broke through. It's interesting because the distress the disciples were experiencing had already begun in the upper room. John 16, 6, Jesus says, I know you're distressed because Jesus is saying I'm going to depart from you. And he begins explaining his departure. And what's interesting is when God invites us, and especially this is kind of a 201 point for some of us in here, but especially like for our staff or those that do extended hours in prayer and intercession, and you've had God grip you before in that place of prayer, you've tasted this fervency. It's not an easy place to live. And we see the disciples, I don't think they were lazy. It says they were overcome with grief, right? 
And I just know that sometimes we get into, you know, these extended periods of fasting and prayer. And you begin to touch anguish in your soul and you're fellowshipping with God in that place. And you're actually carrying an authentic burden. And all I want in those moments a lot of times is a candy bar. All I want in those moments of suffering, difficulty, and pain where you're carrying something from God and you're birthing something in the spirit. Any woman in this room that's given birth to children can tell you it's not a pleasant experience. But a lot of times intercession is that same experience. You have an anguish that's in your soul, a difficulty, a pain. And there's an option like the disciples were when they should have risen up with fervency. Instead, they abort the work of God in prayer and they fall asleep. Because they didn't have a persevering spirit in their session. And I've read this before, and they're, oh, they're just kind of lazy, half-hearted. But the reality was that the, that the difficulty of the moment had come upon them, and when they should have risen up in their spirit in response to the adversity, instead they just fall asleep. Because it's too hard. It's too hard to press into God in that moment. It's too hard to embrace the suffering and the pain and the difficulty. And what I want to ask us in this room... It's the question of fervency. When you get pressed, what comes out? When you find yourself in a moment of difficulty, what's your first response? I want to highlight an encouraging thing that we have something that the disciples didn't fully have in the garden. We know the Spirit of God rested on them in various times, but it wasn't until Pentecost that the Spirit came in and dwelt. In Romans 8.26, I think we see the disciples in the upper room and the disciples post-Pentecost versus the disciples in the garden, right? In the garden, they're trying to pray by the natural anointing that they have and their flesh is too weak even though their spirits are willing. But the reality is they had no, they had no fortifying work of the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They had an anointing, but they didn't have what they had after Pentecost. In Romans 8.26, it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Hallelujah. So if you're hearing me talk about David Brainer, you hear me talking about intercession or prayer and you go, that's very foreign to me and how am I ever going to get there? Be encouraged today. The Holy Spirit is here to help you. And we're going to pray and actually ask for an impartation even of the spirit of prayer at the end of this time. So if you're going, I've never prayed like that in my life. Don't think that's not for me. Think today's your invitation. Because the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. You need prayer beyond words. You need those groanings that Jesus, those tears that I believe he had in Gethsemane. It says that when he faced having to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he's confronted with the tears of his beloved friend Mary and Martha, it says that in John eleven thirty three, Jesus sees their weeping, and he groaned in his spirit, right? He groaned in his spirit. And then he comes and he prays, and he says, Father, I'm not praying to you because... Because I need to say these words to you because I know you're all, I already know what you're going to do. Right? But I don't believe that's because he knows prophetically. I believe because the intercession was already done in the moment when he groaned before the Father. And his intercession beyond words ascended. And he got the breakthrough in prayer as he's striding towards the tomb. And he arrives there at Lazarus' tomb already knowing he's gotten the breakthrough through the groan. And he steps into that moment full of faith. Just like Jesus stepped into the trial of the cross from Gethsemane. James 5, 16 says, The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. It says, Elijah, a nature like ours. If you read the story of Elijah, there are moments where he fled from Jezebel in fear. He was, a, at moments, he proved himself to be the greatest 
counted greatest among the prophets in the Old Testament, he clearly had a human nature like we did. But though he had a human nature like us, he prayed. And it says, if you go back and read that account in 1 Kings 18, he prayed seven times until a cloud appeared like the size of a man's hand. And he knew that the rains were going to come and the drought was going to be broken. It says he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land. And he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. I want the rains of revival to break forth on our land. I believe if you look at the history of the move of the Spirit of God in our nation from the first awakening in the 1770s and 1780s to the 1850s, 60s, 70s, 80s with the second great awakening, Charles Finney, and then you, and then you see the great healing revivalists and men like Billy Graham that arose in the wake of World War II in the 1950s and the charismatic renewals and, uh, and the church planting of, of the third wave of the charismatic movement with John Wimber and the Toronto Revival in Pensacola. We are overdue for another awakening in this nation. And I believe if a praying people will recognize the times and say it's been dry in the land for far too long. And if they will get the spirit that was on Elijah in intercession on their hearts and begin to cry out. God open the heavens, let the rains come. That spirit of fervency and perseverance that made Jesus get face down in the garden and intercede. Until God's will was assured, that spirit that is, that's talked about in Romans 8, that groans inwardly and expresses things beyond our words. If our community will move in that, and I believe that that is part of our assignment. That's part of what, not every community is going to have a vision to achieve that. But if we as a peculiar priestly people will get a vision in the place of prayer, to obtain intercession that produces the rain, we will be a blessing to our city in the way God intended. And the gates of this city will open to the king of glory. And the churches will be flooded with the spirit of God. I want to show a quick video clip. This is our prayer room in Africa, and, and Caleb sent this to me a few weeks ago. He said this was like their first, one of their first prayer meetings for their new students Many of these students are Muslim background believers, at least eight of them, right? So they're coming to a mission school to train them to reach Muslim peoples in the Horn of Africa. And they come from families and backgrounds uh, of, of um, Muslims. So they're not born in Christian homes or Christian families. And they're there doing front lines work. And a lot of times front line work will produce fervent intercession. And so I just want to show you this quick clip of this was supposed to be their devotional time of prayer. So let's watch their devotional time of prayer. God wants to mess with some of our devotional times of prayer in the morning. I'm all for light the scented candle, get your Bible open, find your comfy chair. Like, I'm all for that. But some of you are going are gonna to light the candle, you're going to get your journal and your Bible open, and you're going to start to feel the groan. <laughs> and God's going to start to mess with some of you in this time. It's not just going to be a little one-day devotional. You're going to start to feel that burden of intercession from Muslim people. You're going to go, what's happening to me? Well, it's because I'm a part of that Gate City Church, and it's that thing that that guy was talking about on Sunday morning. That I didn't even know what he was talking about, that David Brainerd intercession. It's that Jesus Gethsemane intercession going to start to grip you. And all I want to encourage you to do is go with it.
Like, eat the pickles and the peanut butter, okay? Like, you think you're going in for one thing. God's going to give you something else. And let's get God, let God break our boxes and begin to define what real devotional times of prayer need to look like. Some of you are called to touch the nations of the earth from your prayer closet at 5.30 in the morning. Some of you are going to be radically touched in this coming season with a sense of urgency in the place of prayer. Tell you a quick story. I was in Costa Rica. I was a college student. I literally, it was like February, I had repented and started serving the Lord. And then we had spring break, February, March, April. I can't even say I was particularly righteous over that spring break of that particular year. There was still a lot of uh, ratchet in me in that time. My life, I was in process. Just Google Urban Dictionary, all over 30. Um, and so I'm there on spring break. I'm in Costa Rica. And uh, I'd met some friends that were from college, and, and they, none of them were Christians. And one of the guys, it's so interesting to me because as I was thinking of this story, it dawned on me. You know, I showed that clip of, of some of our Muslim background students interceding and praying for the nations. And it's interesting because the guy that I'm going to tell the story about, his name was Mo. It was short for Muhammad. And he actually was a Muslim background person as well. And we were in Costa Rica on the western coast. And uh, he'd gone out to surf for the very first time late in the evening. And my friend, I remember, comes running up to the hostel that we were staying in and says, Mo got swept out. And he was literally like half a mile offshore when they saw him last. And he's waving his arms, asking someone to come help him. And so it, the sun's beginning to set. My friends and I go, we call the police. The police show up. It's dark by the time that they get there. And we're like, can you call a helicopter? Can you call the Coast Guard? And they're just out there with their flashlights. And we realized very quickly, this was the highest level of support we were going to get. I was like... This is, there is no Coast Guard, there is no helicopter, and I immediately realized if we don't do something right now, if we don't do something right now, he's, he's going to lose his life, he's going to drown, because he was probably miles off <laughs> the, the coast at that point. And so I run to the nicest resort on the strip that we're staying at, because I knew that maybe there were some expatriate fishermen that might be able to get a boat and, and just at least get someone to go out and search, right? I didn't want this guy, he was my friend, I didn't want him to die. And I'd been witnessing to him, uh, and, and I, I didn't want him to, to die, and I didn't want him to die not knowing Jesus. And so I run to the lobby of this really fancy hotel. I call a, a fisherman. I think I left a voice message, or I reached someone. They said, we'll see what we can do. And so at this point, I'm barefoot. I've run from the beach. I've exhausted every option in the natural. And I'm gripped with the awareness that this is an urgent moment, and he's going to die if I don't do something. But I have nothing. There's no natural solution to the problem. And I just feel the Holy Spirit say, pray. But I felt this sense, and I was nervous to do it. Like, you don't need to pray like this isn't important. Like, bow your head and just pray like you pray over your food. Like, I felt this sense, I need to really pray. So I just dropped to my knees in the lobby of this fancy hotel, and I just begin to cry out to God, God, save his life. Have mercy on him. I bet the people there thought I was the weird, like, what is wrong with this guy? But the reality is they didn't realize the urgency of the stakes. And you may start to look weird to people if you embrace a really radical life of prayer. But if you really, if we perceive the stakes, we would pray that way. If we knew unreached peoples aren't going to be reached with the gospel unless we learn to pray that way. We start to break through that barrier of fear. And we start to go, I don't care what the people around me think. 
This guy's life is at stake. I've done everything I can do, and the only thing I can do is avail myself of heaven in this moment. And I just remember, even in that, though, we are just so weak. It's the weakness of our flesh. I remember feeling self-conscious. Have you guys ever felt that moment where you go, what's happening is too important for me to feel self-conscious, but I feel self-conscious nonetheless. Like it's my human frailty. And I had to push, I'm just being real with you, okay? And I had to push back that because I had this sense. I need to pray. And the mystery of prayer is that God does things in the earth as his people agree with him. And I just begin to pray for mercy over this guy's life. Do you know this is the story of what happened? It is literally a miracle. As my friends were running to come get me and my, my other friend Mo is getting swept out to sea. A little girl sees him struggling, waving his hands. And she runs up to one of the little beach restaurants there and grabs a surfer guy who is a Costa Rican, and said, this guy's getting swept out. And the Costa Rican guy starts to paddle out there with his surfboard. But by the time he gets out there, it's dark, and they're too far off co the coast, and there's crashing waves. He said he couldn't hear, he couldn't see. And he said, I was about to turn back, but something inside me spoke. This is him, not a Christian, recount a story. He said, something inside me said, I have to keep going. And I had courage to keep going. And he said, I kept swimming, kept swimming, until he found my friend who had been swept out. And because he was so much stronger a swimmer, instead of swimming against the current, they followed the current and went several miles down beach. And he actually swam my friend to safety. I really believe this. When I heard the story, I was in amazement. I really believe the Holy Spirit put it on the heart of that stranger to keep going. And what if I had said, you know what, I'm not going to look weird or I've exhausted all the natural means and I'm just going to sit here. That would have been me falling asleep in the garden in that moment. How many times do we exhaust all the natural circumstances or, or, we, or we go to the natural things first instead of realizing the God of all heaven is available to our prayers? And that experience taught me a lesson. When things get hard, prayer needs to be our first response. And if we do that, it'll give us fortitude. So Jesus instructs his disciples to pray. And he did that for not just his benefit because he longed for fellowship, but for their benefit because he wanted them to resist temptation. And it's so interesting because when you read it, you go, why is he telling them to pray? Well, it's really obvious. He says it three times. He says, pray so you don't fall into temptation. He actually says it three times to them. I want you to pray so you'll be strong in the moment of trial. He wanted to produce fortitude in them, and their prayerlessness produced fainting. His, I'll say it again. Their prayerlessness produced fainting. We need to be called to pray because there's an hour of great challenge coming upon the earth. Jesus actually, in Luke twenty two fifty three, he says to those who've come to capture him, he says, this is your hour when darkness reigns. And when I heard that, I thought... You know, we see a picture of Jesus' life when an hour came of great tribulation and trial. But we also know Isaiah 60, it says that there's a time when great darkness will cover the earth and darkness the people. And I believe that's describing the adversity of the great tribulation and the things described in the book of Revelation. But it says, the Lord will arise over you, his glory will be seen on you. So get this, the brightness of Jesus' coming is preceded by the greatest hour of darkness in the earth. And we see in Jesus' life, the glory of the resurrection is preceded by his greatest hour of temptation and darkness. 
And I believe just as he said to his disciples, pray in the garden so you're ready for the hour of trial. He's saying to us as the church, pray so that faith is found in the earth when the hour of great darkness comes that precedes my return. And a prayerless people will not be ready to stand in the hour of great darkness. It's so funny because what Jesus did in the garden is exactly what he tells the disciples to do when he teaches them to pray. In Matthew 6, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, one of the things he says is pray that you would not be led into temptation, that you'd be delivered from evil. It's interesting, too, later on he says, you know, not my will, Father, but yours be done when he's having that intercession. It's the same principle that he teaches them to pray. Our Father is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's interesting because Jesus' prescription for how to pray is exactly the map that he follows in the garden. How many of you heard the great passage from Ephesians 6? Harrison, you're doing a great job, I'm sure, with the scriptures. I'm like all over the place in the notes. So we just appreciate our projection guy. If you want to go to Ephesians 6 real quick, if that's in there. I'd, I'd never seen this before. How many of you heard an awesome message on the armor of God in your life? Okay, two of you. Wonderful. So I remember I learned in summer camp, I learned this, this message. And I, I remember putting on the helmet and learning it's like the helmet of salvation, girded with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, your offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, the shield of the faith, feet girded with the readiness of the, the gospel of, uh, feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And you learn about all these different things that are meant to be our defense. It's under, I believe I interpret the armor of God. It's not like a, you don't get real spiritual armor. It's a metaphor. And the metaphor is for different truths that protect you in different ways, right? And the sword of the spirit is our one offensive weapon. But once you're, what's amazing that I'd never, I honestly never seen it before is you go to Ephesians 6, read the description, and then once you're in the armor, what are you supposed to do? He says, once you're in the armor, pray. Like the armor's purpose is that you'd be able to go to war, but when you go to war, what do you do? You pray. says pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests within this mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the lord's people the contrast is in the spirit when we're when we're armed with the the full armor of light and our offensive weapon the word of god and we go into the place of prayer it's like satan comes at us with the temptation turn these stones into bread it is written jesus says you shall not test the lord your god it is written, worship no other one but him. It is written. And Jesus uses the sword of the spirit in an offensive way. And he did that from the place of prayer. There's an interesting illustration. I'm sure many of us remembered September 11th. Yesterday is the 20 year anniversary. And one particular thing showed up in my feed a few different times. And that's the story of Todd Beamer. Todd Beamer was the hero of Flight 93. His famous phrase, let's roll, is one that many people know. Uh, he, he actually, it was the last plane that was in the air of the Al-Qaeda attacks. It was likely going to either the Capitol or the White House. And Todd Beamer is able to get on a phone and call down to 911. And they actually tell him on the phone that the World Trade Towers were hit and that the Pentagon had been hit. And that their plane was the other one captured. And he has the realization while on the phone with the 911 operator that we, this plane is likely going down. 
and we can save lives if we take the cockpit. And what Todd Beamer does that was really striking me yesterday, especially in preparation of this meeting, is he asked the 911 operator, whose name was Lisa, to uh, speak to his wife and to his children to tell them that, that, he, uh, that, that he loved them. He gets the information for her on the situation. He describes the terrorists and how they'd hijacked the pain, all those different things over the course of this about 11-minute call. And then at the end, by the end of the time, he's determined that they're going to try and take back the plane. And he says, Lisa, will you pray with me? And they recite the Lord's Prayer. And on the 911 call, you can hear the other people on the flight joining in with Todd as he recites the Lord's Prayer. And then he recites... Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me by quiet streams. He caused me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And though I walk through the, his rod and his staff, they come for me. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And he recites it. And then he says to the other pastor, he goes, okay, let's roll. And he goes, and, and in the course of the struggle, the plane crashes in a field in Pennsylvania instead of crashing into the White House or into the Capitol building. When the pressure is on, when the hour of darkness comes, and you're squeezed, what's coming out of you? I promise you that wasn't the first time that Todd had recited the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23 from memory. In the place of prayer, he had prepared himself. He knew what, so that he knew how to confront evil when he found himself in a situation he totally didn't expect. I don't believe you have that response unless you're first prepared in the place of prayer. He had fortitude in that moment because of the life of prayer that he led. We can't get the things we need in God on the fly. I know that our culture will tell us that we can, that you can get everything on the fly, you can get everything instantly, you can, you can shop instantly, you can get your, you know, get your order instantly at Starbucks, you can do a lot of things instantly, and it tricks us into, into having this short-term gratification mentality. But the reality is that the deep things in God that you really want, you'll get them incrementally over faithfulness over decades. And if we'll give ourselves to the place of prayer when the time of pressing comes, we'll be prepared. All right, second to last one. I'm going to do these two quickly. Fellowship. Jesus invites his disciples, stay here and watch with me. Three times they fall asleep. Three, three times he wakes them up. He wanted them to overcome because he knew communion with God and one another was what was needed. And that was what would give them strength to find victory. The truth is, this is the main point I want to give you, we pray longer and harder when we pray together. It was funny, my wife and I were talking about my training for the, the marathon coming up, and I thankfully have someone that's training with me, and a lot of times if I'm waking up to run by myself, I just hit the snooze button, just to be honest. But when I make that appointment with a friend that we're going to run together, I don't ever do that, because that's lame, you don't not show up, right? It's a very, very simple, natural concept. If you'll get a prayer partner, set a prayer time, you're going to pray twice as much as if you say you're going to pray on your own, right? Unless you're an unusually faithful person. I'm weak, so I need people to hold me accountable. 
right? I, when I run out, after 10 minutes of praying, when I run out of things to pray, I need somebody else to chime in and pick up where I left off, right? Like, we pray longer and harder when we pray together. And so sometimes people are like, why do you have to do the prayer room? I mean, can't I just pray as well at home? I go, well, yeah, you, you maybe can pray your personal prayer list, but how about the concerns of your community? How about the concerns of your city or your nation? Like, those are best represented when we come together in prayer in community. That's why Jesus in Matthew 18 says, two or three agree on any one thing and it will be done for them. He says, unified prayer has a multiplying power. And so I want to encourage us. In the same way, Jesus, could Jesus have prayed in the garden on his own? Well, yes, obviously, he ends up in that position because his disciples are all falling asleep. But what did he long for? Fellowship in the place of his sufferings. He longed for someone to enter into the experience of his brokenheartedness and his struggle and his difficulty. And in that, we see such a beautiful picture of how Jesus modeled for us Christianity. We're not to be superheroes that tackle problems on our own. We're to live in dependence upon one another, even in the place of prayer. And so in the garden, they fall asleep. There's no unity. At Pentecost, it says they're all in accord and in one place. And that unity in the place of prayer released the power of the outpouring of the Spirit. I can remember one time in my life, uh, one of my dearest friends, Chris, who's here today, he's here somewhere. Hey, bro. He actually was so sweet. He came over and he prayed for me today at the beginning of, our, of uh, the service, just saying, hey, can I pray for anything? I know you're preaching today. He's a faithful friend in the place of prayer. And I remember my dad's funeral was over 10 years ago, and, uh, and there wasn't any minister in my dad's life. And so when my siblings gathered together to plan the funeral, they said, well, is there anyone we can officiate, who can officiate? And they turned to me, and I said, okay, I, I'm willing to do it. Um, but in the midst of my own grief of losing my father, one of the most difficult things I ever had to do was officiate his funeral. And, and I had certain convictions about how to do that uh, that required courage. And so in the midst of that, having two friends that came with me and for the hour beforehand sat in a back room with me and we prayed together. One of the most powerful moments of prayer in my life that during a time of intense testing, I knew I had a community that was praying for me, and I had brothers who were praying with me, and still 10 years later, Chris is praying for me and with me. You need praying friends in your life. Jesus needed praying friends in his life. Find those praying friends and learn this lesson from the garden that Jesus desires fellowship with us and desires us to have fellowship with each other in the place of prayer. And I'll say one other thing regarding that. Just as God wants to draw us into fellowship with each other and multiply power in prayer, Satan wants to cause offense and isolation. And his strategy to get you into spiritual ruin is to isolate you from those people that can give you power in the place of prayer in your time of adversity. Last lesson from the garden. The worship team can go ahead and, and come up if you guys want. Uh, I think Joy is actually just going to come. So come on up, Joy. And you can begin to play behind me. So what was striking to me about the prayer in the garden is as fervently as Jesus prayed, as intensely as he prayed, as high as the stakes were, God didn't ultimately answer his natural prayer. It's pretty clear what he would have wanted in his natural man. Father, let this cup pass from me. The power of the prayer in the garden was that 
Jesus was changed through the time of prayer, not God's plan. And why I'm highlighting that to us is so often we come to the place of prayer and our expectation is prayer is only valuable if it gets the outcome that I want. But some of us need to embrace prayer because prayer is, we're being invited into prayer to change something that's in our hearts that needs to be corrected. And the true secret of faithfulness in the place of prayer in the midst of trial and adversity is that grace sometimes comes through God's deliverance and sometimes God deposits grace in your life through giving you perseverance. And only in that place of fellowship do you get to discover really what God's answer is to your prayer. And the ability to accept whatever his answer is, is truly what's best. I think a lot of times we talk about prayer and we talk about a lifestyle prayer and we have this very transactional approach that the purpose of prayer is to essentially get what I want. The anointing on my life, my bills paid, my wife not my wife, but other people's wives to act right. <laughs> like you, everybody know in this room, one of your most intense times of prayer is, God, will you just make that person do what I'm asking them to do? I've told them what would fix our fill in the blank. Lord, make my boss, whatever, whatever. And what if your boss is God's prescribed suffering for you to persevere to form something in your character? What if that's God's answer to you when you enter into the place of prayer? Will you in that moment, I know that's a funny, normal life illustration, but in that moment, will you say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I'll submit to this awful boss just like Jesus submitted to Pontius Pilate. You may have a place of suffering and difficulty in your life, and you'd say, God, make this cup pass from me. And he goes, the only way for me to redeem this circumstance is for you to walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death. To actually be strengthened in prayer to go through the trial, not around the trial. And that's the ministry time that I want to give today. If you're here and the things that I'm saying, these words on fervency, fortitude, fellowship, and faithfulness are pricking your heart. And you'd say, I feel like I want, in this season of life or in the season to come, strength to walk through the time of suffering and I want a life in prayer that will produce that in me, I wanna pray for you today. And you can come to the altar if you want. You can also stand right where you are. Just invite you if you wanna receive prayer right now, you can stand, you can come to the front. We're gonna to pray together. You can just put your hand on your heart, open your hands before the Lord. Just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to come and impart grace to you. Spirit, come right now. We pray the lessons from the garden, God, that you would put a fervent spirit in us, that you put a spirit of, of fortitude to resist temptation and weariness, the sorrow of our difficulties, that we would rise up in our spirits with fervency. The Holy Spirit would teach us to groan inwardly, that we would have an urgency and intercession, God. Give us praying brothers and sisters around us even as we, the church, gather around these in this altar and gather around these in this room, God, we partner with them in prayer. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done. We say, keep them from the hour of temptation. Give them faithfulness. Give us a heart that cries out, not my will, but yours be done. 
Strengthen us in the place of communion. That we would hold your will supreme even over our own preferences, even our own appetites. God, shape us by your spirit in the place of prayer. Release grace in this moment. I ask the anointing of the Holy Spirit for intercession would come upon people. That the That the picture that I described earlier, people going to their devotional time and being gripped with groanings, gripped with a spirit of prayer, gripped with tears for the lost, gripped with intercession for the prodigal son or daughter. I ask for that spirit of intercession to begin to take hold of people even right now, Father. I pray, God, that you would release an anointing on our community, that when we gather at times of corporate worship and prayer, we would find ourselves crying out with fervency. Like the Gate City House of Prayer in East Africa. God, loose the spirit of prayer on our spiritual family. Let us be a peculiar priestly people that proclaim your praises, the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. That revival intercession that gripped David Brainerd. That whole people groups would be swept into the kingdom of God on the backs of our prayers. Touch us, God. Touch us, God, we ask. Holy Spirit, this is an anointing of prayer on us. Where you go, I go, what you say, I say. What you pray, I pray. What you pray, I pray. Where you go, I go. What you say, I say. What you pray, I pray. This is our prayer. What you pray, I pray. Where you go, where you go.
atmosphere of worship in the altar for just a few more minutes as people are getting touched and ministered to. If you have children in children's ministry, we invite you to go and, and pick them up now. You can bring them back into the sanctuary if you want to continue to seek the Lord. We also have our meet and greet connect time where you can meet myself or Ash or some of our leaders here. If you're a first time visitor, we want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. Thank you guys and God bless you, Gate City Church.